As we consider Advent, once again, the expectation and coming of the Lord, each one of us needs to be praying and desiring for God to come. I want us to be mindful of these things as as we consider this season and consider the words of the Lord today. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused all his holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear them, mark them, and live by your teaching. Gracious Heavenly Father, please let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight through him who humbly came to us, delivered us, and who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever. Amen. So we're going to read a passage here. We're going to read a little bit more than the gospel reading that we read today. We're going to hear God's word speak to us and then examine it together today. So as we look at Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 and reading to verse 17, these are the words of God. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoke of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees." Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit of fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and his will he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat to the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now in this passage we see at the beginning of the advent of Jesus' ministry, his coming, he was born, And then he came to minister. And he came, Jesus came, to bring repentance and restoration to all people. 
But you know, it was quite a long time from the last time that God himself spoke. We see here in this passage that God spoke at Christ's baptism. As a matter of fact, God, <coughs> excuse me, God was silent for nearly 400 years. There had been no prophet, although I know that God had faithful people serving him, speaking the truth and teaching. There had been no prophet. There had been no one declaring the words of the Lord. In part, God had provided them many, many teachings throughout his word. What were the kings admonished to do? They were to read God's word, read God's law, so that they could follow it and know what to do. And what were the people of Israel doing? Constructing their own way to worship God, to follow God, and forgetting the simplicity of what God had asked of them. Now this long period of time we see at the very end of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi and his very last prophecy that he gives. Here is Malachi chapter 4, and it's just five verses. Let us hear of this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says Yahweh of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On this day I will do this, says Yahweh of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel, with statutes and judgments. Behold. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And then there was 400 years of silence. And suddenly out in the wilderness shows up a man. The questions that we see here at the state start of this passage from Matthew is the who, the what, and the where. Who is this? This is John. Who is this John that we call the Baptist? In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and his wife was the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So it was, excuse me, and then we looked down at verse 8. And so it was that while he was serving as priest, this is Zechariah, before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. And he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside the hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. I'm just going to pause right there. You know, 
we, we have all kinds of sweet looking pictures of angels and there's an occasional one of an angel looking like a, a cherubim with a flaming sword. But people of God, every time an angel shows up, people are sorely afraid. They're terrorized. They're terrorized when the angel of the Lord comes. Because when God comes, he brings both judgment and deliverance. When the angel of God comes, he brings judgment and deliverance. We get warm fuzzies. We get the precious moments, little angels, those drawings. And we say, oh, aren't angels cute? But he brings judgment and deliverance. So Zacharias saw him. He was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall neither drink wine nor strong drink. Now that means that he's going to have a specialized Nazarite vow. The, you know, wine and strong drink is appropriate in certain circumstances and in proper moderation before God. But you can come to a special time where you take a vow of, a, of special dedication to God. And when you do that, you put off wine and strong drink and a variety of other things as well. But it says this, continuing on. <coughs> Excuse me. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And we know that to be true because what happened... When Jesus was in Mary and she comes and meets Elizabeth, it says that John leapt for joy because Jesus was in his presence. So it says this in verse 16, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, and he will also go before him in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So here there's a direct connection to this closing prophecy in Malachi here John is coming and after 400 years of what to some must have felt like deafening silence of God God is coming he shows up first with an angel to speak and he says I'm sending one as Elijah and it says to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the, war, the Lord. Now here's where it gets kind of crazy. Right? Because here it says this, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Now it's like he forgot his Sunday school lesson, or his synagogue lesson. What happened with Abraham and his wife Sarah? What happened there? God made a promise, said, I'll bring this, I will do this. And what happened? He came. And we see again and again where when God speaks and, he, and God answers and says, yes, I'm going to provide a child. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are that are stacked up. God does it. What does Gabriel say? Now, remember, he was already afraid, right? And then the angel says, don't be afraid. Verse 19, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, 
and was, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Now to use a, a, a movie image for just a second, in the Lord of the Rings, there's this scene between <clears throat> Gandalf and, and uh, not Frodo, but, but, but the, all of a sudden his name fell out of my head. Oh, well, Bilbo, that's right. And, and Bilbo wants to hold on to the ring and keep it, and, and all of a sudden you see Gandalf go from this joyful, happy, happy wizard to very dark and scary and om ominous, right? Anybody remember that scene? You're going to see it in a couple of weeks, I guess, maybe. I don't know where to that part of the story. But, but I, I, the point of that, when I was hearing this, I can imagine the angel, he's sitting there, he's bringing glad tidings, and then, you know, all of a sudden, there's, there, you know, it's like, I can't believe the angel becomes large and is like, I came from God Almighty to bring you these glad tidings. And you can imagine just for a second where Zachariah was like, uh-oh. And he says this in verse 20, but and here's the judgment from, from the angel of the Lord. But behold, you will, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the days that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Now, um, God was gracious, as he always is with his people. But you think about that. If the angel of the Lord, you're you're in the temple, you're you're burning incense, and God sends an angel to speak to you, you think you would be having expectation and be readily filled with joy to receive His word, but He didn't, and He was mute. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. See, it used to be that you know only certain men at certain times could go in certain parts of the temple, inside the building. And so they wondered why he was in there so long. They were wondering, did God strike him down? Uh-oh. If the, if the Lord sent an angel in there and he struck him down, who's up for volunteering to go in to get him? <laughs> right? They were wondering, and they're all looking, not me, not me. But when he came out, that's Zacharias, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he, that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed and went to his own house. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. And you know, that's exactly what God does when he fulfills his promises. He takes away our reproach, he takes away our sin, and he gives us undeserved blessing. So we know that John came through a miracle. We know that God was, was right there and that God uh, brought uh, John there and he was an actual priest. He was from a priestly family. So what's going on? <clears throat> so it's really interesting when you consider this and you consider Elijah and the things that he did. If you, if you look at 2 Kings chapter 1, we see a very similar event to some of the, the words that John is going to say at his, when he's calling for repentance. Look at first, or Second Kings chapter 1, and it says this, beginning in verse 2, Now Isaiah fell through the lattice of his upper room, he's the king, in Samaria, and was injured. 
So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. Now remember the Philistines are descendants of the Egyptians. And so, excuse me, they're always, you see him and he's going back to the idols of the Egyptians. And he says, I'm going to go find out if I'm going to recover from the pagan idols. And in this story, we see that, the, that God speaks to Elijah and says and gives him some direction. And in that, we, we see that those men that he sends, they run into Elijah, and Elijah says, you need to tell the king, is there no God in Israel? And he says this, he goes, he goes you need to go back to him and say, God says you're not going to recover because you've sought pagan idols. And when they go back, the king, instead of saying, wow, the prophet came out, or a prophet came out, and he said these things, maybe I should consider Yahweh, the God of Israel. And instead, he's full of his own pride. And in verse 8, he said, who is this man? And, they, and it says, so they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And it is Elijah the Tishbite. The king becomes so angry that he sent the captain and 50 men. And what happened? Fire came and burned them up. And then a second captain, the king is still incensed. And a second captain comes with 50 men, and they're burned up with fire. And then a third captain comes, and finally, somebody with good sense. And he comes in with humility, asking for mercy. Humility, asking for mercy. And the angel of the Lord told Elijah to go with that captain. And Elijah spoke judgment to King Azahiah. Where is all this going on in our, in our, in our hold on to that, leather belt, camel hair, and three fires? Let's consider this. Where, where did this happen? We see that in, in uh, we, we see that here in Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway of our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. In, in, this, in, in chapter 40, where it talks about the, the, making the paths of the Lord straight, there's something going on here quickly, and I just want to point this out. It says the, the valleys, the low places, the low things will be exalted, and that the mountains and hills are going to be brought down, those who are uh, in leadership. And this, this particular passage in Isaiah, Isaiah is giving promises to the, for the return of exile. The exile will end with the Lord's forgiveness. They're still in exile because, and, and, and here the people of God are still in exile, even though they've come back and they, they reestablished worship, they've gone back to idolatry, and, and, and even now, when John is coming, the people of Israel are still in an exile because now, instead of simply being under the oppression of outsiders, they're under the oppression of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And here, where John is calling out, John's baptism ritually represents a return to the land by passing through the Jordan 
and returning to Israel. And I'll just point that out, of course. They're, they're there, and what's happening? They go out there, and then John baptizes them to repentance. And so they're, they're, they're understanding that they're going out there. They're being baptized. They're passing through the waters of the Jordan specifically, just as they were to, as they came out of Egypt, just as they came out of exile to get back in. They needed to go out. They needed to repent and go anew into God's kingdom. So as we look at this and we consider how that John calls the Pharisees who show up out there uh, brood of vipers, it's very interesting. If you look at, again, Matthew chapter 3 at verse 7, it says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. Now, remember, they weren't showing up there to be baptized. They weren't in line. They were coming around to see what's, what's all this business going on out here. And there's a lot of people streaming. You know, today we do that a lot with things, right? What thing on social media has the most hits, right? You know, one, one of the things that, that we have to say is if, if the crowds are going there, do we ever go and look? That's exactly what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. They heard people were having an experience with God out there in the wilderness. We need to go find out what that is because they're supposed to be having a, an experience with God with us, right? They were full of their own pride and their own rules. And, and remember what the Bible says. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, it says this, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Excuse me. And also in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So, uh, John calls them the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you brood of vipers. That's one. We also know that Jesus does this as well. In Matthew chapter 12, where the Pharisees and Sadducees were hanging around and trying to figure out ways to entrap Jesus, they're, they're incensed that Jesus is healing people on the Sabbath. Jesus points out, they, they actually accuse him of, of being of the devil in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus says, a house cannot, that's divided, cannot stand. There's also a discussion that Jesus has about the unpardonable sin. And Jesus calls them to repentance in Matthew 12. By the way, the unpardonable sin is a rejection against the call of repentance. But in Matthew 12, 20, 12 33, Jesus says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit is bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, just as John was saying. He says this in verse 34, Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you, 
that for every idle word men speak, they will give an account to it for it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so Jesus here himself calls them. He's the second witness. And of course, he does it again. Jesus is even gracious. He does it. He accuses them twice. Because in Matthew 23, during Jesus' last life, just following his woes to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says this in Matthew 23, 31. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakai, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. And he says, of course, assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus comes back with a second witness of himself, but John himself has called them a brood of vipers. And all of the martyrs, all the blood of all the martyrs in the history of the world, from the very first one with Abel all the way until the last prophet, we see is falling upon them. And then we see that there's fire and fire and fire here. Matthew 3, verses 9, beginning verse 9. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Again, we're seeing trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So there's that fire. Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's the second fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John, in this, again, going back and looking at this passage here, John is saying to them, fire is coming, firing is coming. It'll be cut down. If you don't bear good fruit, if you don't have repentance, you will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And he will call his people to repentance. And the Holy Spirit will bring both judgment and deliverance and fire. And this is a winnowing fan is in his hand. And he's going to clean out that threshing floor and clean out the barn. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire this is a lot of fire it's a lot of judgment and when you think about it it kind of ties john to elijah in that way you know john is calling israel out of exodus out of being israel to being restored to being israel rightly this fire that is coming to clean the chaff out of the threshing floor points to the temple the temple is built upon the threshing floor of Aruna. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 18 says, And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And then in verse 24 of, of 2 Samuel 24, it says this, Then the king, this is David, said to Aruna, No, I will surely buy it from you for a price, 
nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. All of Israel needed to be humbled into repentance and pass through the waters of Jordan to come into the land of promise where the temple would no longer be built with stones cut by human hands, but would be established as Jesus as the chief cornerstone. We see in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Peter says this to the Christian church, coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. In the new covenant, what do we see? We are the living stones and we are built up. We are the place to worship God. It's really important that we see this. What's the connection here to Jesus and then to us? If Jesus is the cornerstone and we are the living stones of Christ, what does this mean to us in Advent? We see in, in, in Jesus' baptism, where he comes up and, and John tries to prevent him, Jesus says this in uh, verse 15 of chapter 3 of Matthew, speaking to John, Jesus says, Permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And it says that John allowed him this. And we need to understand this. In Matthew, almost all of the uses of the word fulfill have to do with the fulfillment of prophecy. Righteousness in the prophets does not just refer to personal morality, but in establishing right order and justice. Consider our Old Testament reading from Isaiah today from chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out from its roots. And the spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. His delight is the fear of Yahweh, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness. And how does he do this righteousness? Number one, he shall judge the poor. Number two, decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Number three, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And number four, and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. And finally, the fifth thing that Jesus does to, to uh, be an instrument of righteousness is this. Righteousness shall be a belt of, on his loins and faithfulness the belt of his way, to his waist. And then, of course, the, you see all these promises. Jesus comes in and he's going to judge. And he's coming to bring both judgment and deliverance. And what's the deliverance? Think of this now. It says right, th- right here in Isaiah, in our passage from Isaiah, chapter 11, at verse 6, what's the blessing of this after he comes and does this? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall graze, and their young ones will go down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And this is interesting. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hold, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Think about this. After Christ comes, a child 
can be worshiping God and put his hand into what? The cobra's hole. You see, the power of the church after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension to the throne, his head has no power. The viper has no more power, so much so that a child can put his hand near the serpent. But the serpent can't do anything because his head has been crushed. And what comes after this? One of my favorite two verses in the Old Testament. This is one of them right here. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So as the church, through the work of Christ, Christ has crushed the head of the viper, crushed the head of the serpent. Then what happens? The church grows. And the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And where does this come from? In verse 10 of our reading from Isaiah. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles will seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Jesus in the advent in calling for judgment and calling for deliverance. We can understand this. That we as believers, Christians, as God's church are baptized in Christ. We share in his baptism. If Jesus' baptism makes him an instrument of righteousness, as one commentator says, so does ours. With us thinking about this, we need to be, as Christ was, an instrument of righteousness. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse uh, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Jesus, were baptized unto his death, and then also in Romans 6.12, it says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Thanks be to God for Jesus coming, both as King and Savior. Because of the, reconcil- the reconciling work of Jesus Christ, Our sins are forgiven, and we are reconciled to God the Father. We are, in fact, now God's instruments of righteousness in the world, making disciples of the nations, being faithful in the daily liturgy of life. Let us be instruments of righteousness to God for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the true eternal word, Savior, and King. During this Advent season and all the days ahead, please use us to glorify you by being instruments of your righteousness in this world, that the nations would be discipled. In the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever. Amen. peace of Christ be with you. As we consider the admonition of God's word today, I think I want us to remember again what our baptism does. Hear God's word from Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are from above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. (coughs) Excuse me. For you died, 
And your life is hidden with Christ.